resiliency. I mean, look, even Nicholas just said like a hundred times, Tiger's the best that I've ever seen. Would you all just leave me alone? Stop trying to Let me suffer. I just want to be miserable. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Players Only Podcast, the partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. We are the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite big players, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Oneput. We'll kick things off with a recap from the Waste Management Phoenix Open this past weekend, an absolute free-for-all for the fans and some pretty good golf to watch as well. Something like 400,000 people in and out of the gates on Saturday. Security gave up. People were getting in free. They cut off booze. An absolute scene on the golf course. We were treated to a pretty good finish on Sunday with a playoff between Charlie Hoffman and Nick Taylor. Nick Taylor birdieing two straight playoff holes to take down the victory. A pretty stacked leaderboard. Scotty Scheffler, lots of names to note. We'll recap our picks from this past week as well since we're playing in that fantasy golf league and recap other events from the Waste Management Phoenix Open. We're looking forward this week to the Genesis Invitational, another elevated event, a pretty stacked field at Riviera, a place where a win here can really change your career, change the trajectory. You saw it with Max Homa, Joaquin Neiman winning this to change the trajectory for his career. A really great field. We'll look for a really great weekend at Riviera. And we're also looking forward to Tiger Woods getting back in on the action. Pretty low on the odds this week. His first real tournament back, but we'll be excited to watch him out on the course. And speaking of Tiger Woods, his new clothing brand just came out, SDR Sunday Red. We'll talk about our first impressions on that, where we think it's headed. And then we'll close out the episode with a little recap from our weekend round at Clustered Spires. Me, Colin, Tyler, and our friend Eric. A 2v2 match for the ages. Clustered was in great shape. We had lots of fun itching to get back out on that course this spring. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at BigPlayersOnlyPod. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, the boys are back off a pretty exciting weekend. We got playoff golf at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Nick Taylor and Charlie Hoffman kind of out of nowhere, the Seagull. We knew he always plays well there, um, but kind of came out of nowhere, shot like eight under on Sunday, ended up tying Nick Taylor. They go to a two-hole playoff. Charlie Hoffman just leaves his birdie putt about a cup short, and Nick Taylor buries it, walks off with the trophy. Now, as you all know, we're doing this golf fantasy league this year, so after the first round, everyone picks a player, and then you see how they play out, and at the end of the season, we take all the prize money together, and the top few guys will get paid out. So after the first round, Nick Taylor had a pretty commanding lead. He was like 10 under. He shot course record on Thursday. Five-stroke lead. But it was played out over like a day and a half because of the weather. So pretty much mandatory for this league is you have to have your pick in before the start of the second round, regardless of when that happens. I think maybe it's 9 a.m. on Friday, but with this one, because the first round didn't end until maybe like noon on Friday... People had some time to change their picks, but I think a lot of people just stuck with what they had. But uh, one of the guys sitting here at the table, Dub, definitely waited until later to pick Nick Taylor. So congrats on that win, you and Tully and Ken. Well, that's not actually true. This was just sheer luck because Monday morning, people were talking about how round two and round one were going to start concurrently because the app was all screwed up. And so I panicked and was like, I'm going to forget all about this if I don't put a pick in. So I just went in. Nick Taylor was three under through five holes, I think, or something like that in his first round. I'm just like, 
throw a dart. Okay, you get a pass then. That's kind of impressive. <laughs> well yeah. done, Doug. Tully made so. his change in like the last minute and same with Ken, so they don't get the pass. But they got the win. It, it's all within the rules, but we just, you know, yours is definitely different. Picking Nick Taylor after five holes is pretty impressive. I love the irony of the email. Didn't it talk about how, you know, he thanked everyone for using full names and the day before Ken was like, I just put N Taylor. Do you think he'll count that? Like, <laughs> well, talking about Ken, he was so eager to get his pick in. He sent his pick in Wednesday night before the tournament even started. Yeah, he picked Tom Kim, and I think Tom Kim <laughs> barely made the cut but he was able to change it to nick taylor so yeah so three guys dub tully and ken all picked the winner uh what are our standings like tied for first with 32 other people i think is is where i'm at yeah so i think yeah so ken dub and tully all have 1.58 million i stuck with my guns on sahith who was six under before the weather started he had an okay weekend just kind of a couple errand shots here and there he comes in like top 10 i think he ends up at 360K, and then Tippy and Colin both took Shane Lowry, who had a pretty disappointing Sunday, so they only end up with 20K, so $1.56 million back from the lead. <laughs> but it's a long season, and I think Colin's kind of like thinking he has no chance now because he didn't pick Nick Taylor. But I think that we're not going to pick winners that often. I think there's going to be half a dozen to a dozen weeks where no one actually picks the winner because someone comes out of nowhere. Like if Charlie Hoffman won this thing, nobody had him. It's just hard to see that you're a million – back in a hundredth place and think that you can recover from that right after a a bad week well i saw a couple people in there got zero dollars which they right they picked somebody who made the cut yeah hopefully they didn't make the cut and they wasted on max homa yeah a couple guys picked max homa didn't make the cut i mean talking about blowing you know a a solid top five golfer early on and getting nothing in return i thought everyone in last place just picked like nobody and they had no alternate (laughs) people people, wow i mean that's that's gonna happen to us i guess throughout the season but to pick a big big name like that and for him to miss the cut that's big money you're missing out on. and i think i could be misunderstanding this but i do believe i already have some cash in the bank for this for this league at first i think colin you were almost making fun of this at first i thought (laughs) when i heard Everybody who picks the winner splits the money, and they get that extra. And I was thinking it was like in the season-long race. Uh So when I heard $3, (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's really going to matter at the end of the year. But I got $3 back. Uh, to my buy-in. So, so you're I'm, only I'm down 97 well yeah, yeah, looking for the green. Yeah, I mean, that's going to play out pretty interesting throughout the year because there's definitely going to be weeks where less than five guys pick the winners. Yeah. There's an easy 20 bucks, and heck, you could be the only guy that picks it, and all of a sudden you're playing with house money the rest of the year. This league is interesting because now I feel like since I'm down after week one, maybe this is the case, maybe this isn't the case, but I feel like I need to go contrarian from now on. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I wouldn't pull that a little gun. early. I wouldn't pull that gun yet. just yet. Like, I need to start picking the Andrew Novaks, whatever that guy's <laughs> name was, after round one. I mean, I think early in the season, it may feel contrarian, but picking guys with not big names is not a terrible idea. Now, like this week, it's the Genesis. It's an elevated event. It's one of the top five or six biggest purses we're going to play in, so... If you went contrarian this week, you're solely just doing it, trying to get someone that no one else has versus the week after this. I think we have like, I don't know, it's like Punta Con. There's some really small events after this. So if you went contrarian there, hoping for a flyer, you're probably not going to lose too many ground and you keep all your good picks. I think this week with this league has to be a real anomaly, right? Like 70 guys out of however many picked Sahith or Nick Taylor. And so we're way up there. Like that can't happen every week, right? I, I guess because of the weather, like everyone knew. Well, they were just know, such glaringly obvious picks, it felt like. Yeah. Sahith had played well here, came runner-up two years ago. Nick Taylor came up runner-up <clears> last year, and no one wanted to waste their pick on Scotty Scheffler. And those were the three names on the leaderboard that you're like, these guys have track right. record. So we'll probably have, yeah, we'll have weeks where guys pick heavy on one favorite, but to have literally two guys splitting the entire field, I think that's going to be pretty rare. 
So let's talk a little bit about this event. I mean, it was an absolute shit show. I mean, we know that the Waste Management Phoenix Open is always known for how much fun it is and the 16th hole being a stadium hole and people throwing beers on the green when, when a hole-in-one gets made. No hole-in-one this year, but I don't think they needed that chaos because from what I read, Saturday, the security pretty much got overwhelmed and were not checking tickets, and anyone that was in the Phoenix area was pretty much allowed to come on grounds, and they had upwards of 400,000 people in and out of the gates on Saturday. They had to stop serving beer at, like, noon because the fire marshal comes in and says, you guys are way over capacity. This thing is an actual risk to, like, human welfare. So they stopped serving beer thinking that people will leave and that they'll eventually serve it later. No one left. They didn't serve beer the rest of the day. And the videos and pictures from this thing, it's its almost out of hand. I read at one point at somewhere that at one point the tally of people, like, passed out drunk on the course was in like the 30s or 40s and like up until the point where they stopped serving alcohol it's impressive to to step back and think okay there are five hundred thousand people there on the grounds and this could have easily turned into like project x style like riots out there and yeah you had some dumb people doing snow angels in the bunkers and flashing across the fairway but generally speaking like they didn't interrupt the pace of play or, or really anything like those those golfers could have been overrun like at any point by people just without security there. Yeah, because I was getting upset with how the fans were kind of outside of the 16th hole. They were being kind of idiots, and I didn't like that. <laughs> but then also maybe there's a good side to this is they could have been much worse. Like They could have literally overrun the course. It's hard. I mean, I'm not going to like sit here and say like, oh, like everyone needs to calm down. Like waste management's dumb because they just allow everyone to get too crazy. Because like I know if we went like – I like support the party atmosphere. I think it's awesome when someone makes a hole in one and they throw green, like throw the beers on the green and everything like that. But I don't know, just getting overwhelmed all week with like people like stumbling around and falling face first into the mud. <laughs> it, it just seems like everyone's out there to like get on YouTube or get on Instagram or like film something that gets on Instagram. You see, when we went to the RBC Heritage, I mean, I expected it to be a golf tournament. It was an elevated event that year, but we got a bit of a similar taste it became a big block party where 50 percent of the people there weren't even watching the golf but i think that it plays out well for golf in the long term now i think this event might need to be you know reeled in a little bit it's got a bit out of hand but it brings more money into the game it's how they're affording these elevated purses and it makes golf more fun it brings more eyes to it but yeah let me read some statistics off for you so this year at the waste management phoenix open the number of calls of service this is from the arizona department of liquor license and control 653 calls for service, 54 people got arrested, 211 people got ejected, and 73 people were, uh, I don't know, arrested, I guess, for trespassing or cited with trespassing. Those numbers all up well over 50% from last year. So it's quite a, it's quite a, an anomaly this year. I don't know. I think they'll reel it back in a little bit, but it, it's fun to watch. It really is. And I, I could see them trying to expand this tournament beyond just this week. Like, they want to be more like the NFL. They want to draw a lot more viewership, and this is how you do it. Like, this is golf for the non-golfers or the the casual golfers, weekend warriors. I mean, this is what it's all about, going out there, having fun, not this stuffy country club environment. So, you know, it, it clearly got a little overdone this year, but it's still like, why don't we try and do – I don't know if you can recreate it, but do more of this this kind of stuff throughout the season. Especially when you compare it to, like, this is kind of what Liv is trying to do every week. and <laughs> Failing. Mean, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> they could be failing or succeeding. Failing. But yeah, this is kind of... The PGA should be welcoming as many people as they can to support their program right now. I saw where Liv Las Vegas 
the reruns of Liz, Live Las Vegas did better than the broadcast. They were something like the fifty first watched sport over the weekend. Well, so. listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw my live takes out there without Tully here, <laughs> but I will say that I heard that uh, the live the live final round coverage was got as one fifth of as many viewers as the good good desert classic. Did <laughs> That's on unbelievable. YouTube. Yeah, because what lives complaining that no one's tuning into YouTube to watch golf. Yeah, and good, good. Yeah, literally only publish on YouTube. <laughs> I had one more good quote here. I was reading a news article that said uh, there was apparent issues with supplying enough food for all the people that were at the waste management on Saturday. I mean, go figure. Four hundred thousand people versus you may be expecting a hundred to two hundred if you're having like a busy day. And so the quote was. People were drunk and on an empty stomach. And I said, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> well, you mentioned that they were just letting anyone into the gates, like anyone that was in Scottsdale was going there. But that wasn't just like to get into the gates. Apparently, that was also like the suites. Yeah. Like, apparently, in the suites, they're just like, ah, we can't even like tell who belongs here and who doesn't. And then the people who were serving the food and liquor in the suites were just like, well, screw it. Let's just serve them all. Like, <laughs> I don't even feel like checking who is, who is allowed in here or not. It was just wild. So good. So let's just run down this leaderboard, right? Charlie Hoffman and Nick Taylor go to the playoff. Nick Taylor wins by one. Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns in T3. Kind of a sneaky finish there for Sam Burns. Scotty was kind of hanging around the entire weekend, looming like you just thought he was going to turn on the Jets and take it. But Nick Taylor and Charlie Hoffman played really great down the stretch, right? They cleared the field by three. Sahit Thagala, solo fifth. Jordan Spieth, Maverick McNeely, T6. And then Andrew Novak, Kurt Kitayama. Cameron Young and Adam Scott in T8. So, you know, and Justin Justin Thomas, T12, like the list goes on for an event that wasn't elevated. Like, surely Nick Taylor and Charlie Hoffman aren't the two ideal players you'd like to see in the playoff, but good stories, right? Nick Taylor represents his country. He's kind of like the big name for them. And then Charlie Hoffman, a blast from the past that always plays well here. I don't think this tournament could have played out much better on TV than it did. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we now have three years that I can remember in a row of exciting finishes. There was a playoff two years ago. I forget exactly what happened last year, but another exciting finish. And this is one of those courses that there's a lot of birdies out there, especially you think down the stretch, which is what made this so exciting. Like the last three, four holes are all birdie holes, but they could also be bogey holes. And so if you hit a bad shot, you're going to pay the price, which is not generally the case on tour. It's like, oh, well, I'm just only going to have a chance to make par here. But you you pay the pay the price for missing your shots out there, which makes this ending so exciting. I was like watching the uh, the live Mayakoba that when they went to the playoff, Joaquin and Sergio on 18, that hole was just way too hard. Like Joaquin ended up birding it to win, but he made like a 20 footer. But like you just, these guys will just play this hole over and over and over until someone makes a bogey normally. But with the 18th here, they have, a, you know, 120 yards in and then 17 is birdieable, even eagleable. Like, it was a, it's a great course for a good finish. I mean, you saw that in the playoff. Like, I mean, how many playoff holes did they play? Two? They played two. two. And, like, Bert, you had to get birdie to, to win. Yep. I mean, I think Nick Taylor birdied it three times in a row to win the tournament. I think he did, too, because Charlie Hoffman was in the clubhouse. That, that was another funny picture. Charlie Hoffman, like, keeping warm on the range, and it wasn't even the range. It was like a tee box to a par <laughs> three or something with, like, a hyper-ice heating pad back, on his back. back brace on. <laughs> what the heck was Keeping his back warm. I'm like, that's, that's how you know the guy is getting a little He's old. He's standing there chipping around the green with a back brace on, <laughs> gets up there and pumps it 330 down the middle on the tee box. It was insane. I saw something. It was like, okay, if you're under this age, you look at him and, like, make fun of him for wearing a back brace. And if you're over a certain age, you're like, that's not bad. He's only got it on, like, it's his lower smart. back. Yeah, it's, it's not the whole thing. Literally all of us were looking like, man, we got to get one of those. <laughs> nice. All right. So then coming up this week, we have, right, it's our third elevated event already because we had the TOC and then the Pebble Beach ones. It's our third elevated event. 
the first two really haven't given us a huge finish. Like they've been okay, but some of the big names haven't been up on the leaderboard. This one is like, I don't know if I'd call it the fifth major because I think the players is the fifth major, but I think this might be sixth, right? This is the tournament that when you win this tournament, it puts you on the map, right? Guys like John Rahm, Joaquin Neiman, kind of big wins for their career. This field's going to be the top 80 players like we've seen at every signature event. And we got, you know, our Rory, our Vic, our Xander, Cantlay, you know, Scotty, all the big names back. This course is a lot of fun to watch. It's super penal, right? The rough can be pretty thick and the greens are just diabolical, right? If you're not pinpoint the quadrant greens, if you're not on the right tier, it's it's a nightmare. And then the runoffs are just disgusting. So I think you're looking at a guy this week that's got a lot of his game complete, but a specifically good short game, right? You got to be able to pitch and putt around here really well. Yeah, I, I think back to last year, and this was really what stands out was this was like Max Homa's coming out party as in a top 10, top five golfer in the world. He gave Rom all he could handle, and Rom was playing just out of his mind. And I think ended up probably winning by a couple of strokes, but it was really kind of a, a Rom trying to run away with it and Homa sticking right by him. And it was like, okay, Homa can compete in these big events. And so it was, it was cool to see Max kind of take that next step in this tournament last year. I mean, we know how good he plays in California, right? So this is like, I feel like he is primed to win this tournament. He's been playing some above average golf to start the season, nothing too flashy, but this is, he's a guy you look out for here. Hits it pretty straight has been working really hard on his short game. His trend with his short game is similar to what we saw with like Victor Hovland, where it just keeps getting better and better every year. I mean, if he gets the putter rolling, I would look out for him this week. He won it two years ago, right? Three years ago, because it was Rom, Neiman, Homa. Yeah, so three. Okay. Yeah, three. Yeah, I, know, yeah, I was going to say, I thought he I think he'd won this before. Yeah, so our past two winners. So we haven't had a, a guy on the PJ Tour win this event since 2021, because Joaquin oh. and Rom are both gone now. So looking to bring that back. Other past winners, Adam Scott won it in 2020, J.B. Holmes in 2019, Bubba won it at 18 and 16, and then DJ won it in 17. So although hitting the ball straight is a premium around here, a lot of these guys on this list aren't necessarily straight ball hitters. Maybe they just had a good week driving the ball, right? Most of those bombers can just be a little hit or miss, but you know, I, I would like to say a long hitter doesn't do too well here, but that doesn't the story's not told that way with the winners. And maybe that's what makes this this uh, event so fun to watch on this course because it's like, yeah, you said it. Hitting a fairway is a premium, but if you can if you can pump it up there and be accurate with a, with a really long drive, you're going to have a huge advantage over the field. I mean, just think about how number ten plays. You can play that whole twenty different ways, but a lot of these guys are going to step up there with the driver and try to hit it down there and just give themselves a chip in and set themselves up for an easy birdie. If you can do that four days in a row, and I mean, ten is kind of the pinnacle of that, but there are other holes out there. A lot of the par fives too, where you can get aggressive. If you can be successful in, in going for it and being aggressive, I, I think that gives you a huge advantage here. Yeah. Another great course that provides a lot of birdie opportunities, but also you're going to pay the price. There's tough holes out there. You got to kind of plod your way around and, and ch take your chances where you can get them and, and just kind of play for pars on, on some of the other holes. I can think of half a dozen of the par fours that are very much driver holes, but you'll see a lot of three woods because it's just about position and having full swings and being able to put spin on the ball when the pins are in certain positions. I actually saw, yeah, I saw a video of Rory. I think he's probably predominantly going to hit three wood on 10 and just try and land it 10, 20 yards short of the green and just take your pitch up that green because when you get on the sides of that green, it's, it's impossible. I am really looking forward to this being an elevated event. Um, I think we were robbed at the AT&T seeing that final round with um, Wyndham after coming off a of 60 going against Lud Ludwig, a really young star in the game, and then some of those other guys that are up there. But this theme that they're that I'm just now really starting to understand of these signature events, they're trying to seem like they're trying to put it 
on these like really, really like premier courses. I mean, we've already had Kapalua, which is like just incredible to see on TV, uh, Pebble Beach, now uh, Riviera. I mean, just those three right off the gun are, are really, really going to be fun to watch. Well, this is a U.S. Open course, right? Isn't there one slated here in the next five, ten years? I, I think so, I mean, it kind yeah. of plays that way because they could certainly make it a lot more challenging than what it looks like. Yeah, so like we talked about, lots of really good players in this field. But let's look at the leaderboard from last year, right? We talked about Homa trying to take down John Rahm. So John Rahm wins, Homa in second. But these are just names to keep in your back of your mind if you're pick, making a pick after the first round this week. <laughs> Patrick Cantlay came in third. Will Zalatoris in fifth. Keith Mitchell, fifth. Colin Morikawa and then Sahit Tagala in sixth. Matt Kuchar, eighth, Gary Woodland, Adam Svensson, and Jason Day, all T9. So, you know, some good track records there. These are going to be some names that are going to be, if they're up near the top of the leaderboard, I mean, keep an eye on them this week. Shane Lowry, T14 last week. Damn, wish I could, wish you could pick him, huh? Yeah, coming off that five over final round, I'm not thinking so. Yeah, it's a, it's a good course for Shane. I mean, it is because he has that really, really disgusting short game. So maybe I'll pick him this week out of spite. We'll see. Yeah, there's there's some definite real highlight holes here. Ten, you brought it up. It's so fascinating. You could just watch every group come through there and just see how poorly some people play it. I remember JT last year laying up with iron. I think he even chunked it, had like over 100 yards in, and it was like, okay, well, that's taking it to an extreme. That didn't quite work. But seeing guys hit three wood or bang drivers up there and then have these really awkward pitches that you can't really do anything with, you know, makes makes every shot kind of unique there. And then a, a, another shot that stands out in my head from last year, I forget what hole it is. I think it's on the back where it's a long par four, but I believe Hovland like took it down another fairway. Oh, like 15. you can play down a different fairway and then you have this like weird shot, I guess over the trees. And it's just wild seeing that on TV. Somebody just aimed 50 yards right of where you're supposed to go and, and watch them kind of try a different strategy. Yeah. It's the, the 15th hole is like probably like, probably near 500 yard par four, but there's a fairway bunker on the right side that pretty much when you get in it, I would say 10% of guys make par out of there because you're pretty much at the best. You're getting out to 80 yards to try and get up and down from 80 yards. So yeah, guys are taking it up 17. They've been doing it for years. The PGA Tour won't make an internal out of bounds, which I can respect. Like you don't need to make a special case for it, but they put a massive scoreboard in the gap where the guys hit driver thinking that would stop them and it didn't. They just (laughs) go over it now. But you're right. The second shot is a little awkward from over there but it's very much probably half a stroke easier when you go right versus going left i do remember there was a lot of uh tio controversy <laughs> last year i think it was like that part five down the stretch is it 17 maybe where rom was just pumping it i think he like hit off of the like springboarded off of the, the grandstand grandstand roof and just came down and like gave himself good position i think he had like 10 feet for eagle it was yeah. incredible yeah it's it's hard to believe we've talked about the genesis for this long haven't even mentioned tiger woods yet right it's a it, big week for golf. It's it's his event, his signature event. I think this is one of the few elevated that does have a cut, right? Because I think he stuck that in as because most of them don't, and I think he wanted to make this a cut event to hold to the true integrity. I could be wrong. I didn't know that, but he is playing his first event of the year. He looked great at the PNC, uh, moving around. So this is kind of the first time in a while. Again, we tell ourselves this every year. This is going to be the year that he makes it back. But hey, we just saw Charlie Hoffman. What forty-seven years old compete last week in a back brace? If Charlie Hoffman can do it, Tiger can fucking yeah. do it. You're right, Dub. It's a seventy-man field that will be trimmed to fifty after thirty-six. So, generally within ten strokes of the lead, they're like the cut. It's it's interesting. I mean, I did not. I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because you're like thinking about the pick you're going to make after round one. But if you get cut from this event, you're going to be losing some ground. 
Guys that finish in the top 10 here are probably clearing a million, three million for the winner. So it's definitely something to keep in the back of your mind. So this, this not to air out some strategy here, but these elevated events is where you, you burn your big names, right? Yeah, you only got, so you, you pretty much keep them up at the top and get a... The elevated events and then the playoffs are yeah. the $3 million plus for the winners. So if you can get half of those right, you're probably walking away with the trophy this year. I'm going contrary. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. Stick, sticking with Lowry. I hope you pick. I hope, you, I hope you're the only guy that picks someone and they win. That'd be great. But let's talk a little bit more about Tiger, right? It doesn't seem like Tiger's never made a comeback that isn't important. Like, you know, this is like the eighth comeback for Tiger, it feels like. But it just feels as important as it ever has been. We saw him play at the Hero, which, I don't know, calling that a comeback's a little weird. This is like his first event back to a real course, a real field. He's plus 15,000. He's bottom quarter of the field. But we know it's a place that, didn't he win his first event here, the Buick, back when he became a pro? For some reason, I want to say he has never won here. That's right. Like, this is one that sticks out. Like, he's always been second fiddle to, I think, Vijay Singh beat him yep, several right. years in a row. and So it's a place that I think he, he wants to win yeah. really bad. And, it, and it's a course that would suit the experienced player really well. Not know, Knowing when to take your chances, when to, when to lay back kind of stuff. But what are your expectations for him this week? I mean, I don't know. This is a course that looks like the scores have been anywhere from 15 to 20 under par, but we've seen some We've seen some big scores. Like, do you think Tiger makes the cut this week? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I mean, he only has to beat 20 guys. I, I think he showed physically he looks a lot better than he did at any point last year or the year before. The The question that's that his game is always kind of asking in these comebacks is his short game just doesn't seem there. And – like you said, this is a course that puts a lot of pressure on your short game. I think he struggles on these Poa Nua greens. So certainly something kind of going against him this week because I, I feel like last year he hit the ball pretty well, tee to green, and really struggled around him making birdies and pars. Yeah, I, I definitely look for him to make the cut this week. I don't know how much he'll compete, but I think making the cut if you're Tiger, that's a that's a big step. I mean, this is we already talked about it. It's an elevated event. This is the best that the PGA Tour has to offer, a limited field and you go out here, you make a cut, you kind of prove that you are still within that top 80, top 75 players out there, that's got to be an accomplishment for him. And I just feel like he's going to go out there. He knows he knows this course really well. Whether or not he has a ton of success here, that's a different story. But he's just going to try and plot his way around. And I think a lot of these other guys that maybe try to get a, a little more aggressive out there, like they're going to pay the price, and he's going to kind of limit the risk factor there. This course, it reminds me a lot, in essence, of Augusta because it's a course you got to really play your ball around. You can't be making stupid mistakes. They'll lead to double bogeys so fast. We talked about 10. I think I saw Morikawa or Hovland pump a three-wood about 30 yards right of the green, and it ended up getting into the second cut of rough. And, like, what they did from there was just, like, it looked like an amateur could do better, but I know we couldn't. Like, he hacked it out, and it went over the green into the bunker, and then he went back and forth in the bunkers. And it's just like, this is a course you really got to know where to put your ball. And it's kind of where Tiger excels. But I'm a, I'm, I agree with you, Dub. I think the short game is going to be interesting to watch. Like, the Poanua greens, like, they'll get a little bumpy late, on, late in the day, late in the weekend. I don't know if that will affect him too much because I think he's a great putter, but the chipping and stuff off the Bermuda and then the, the Kikuyu kind of rough, is it can get pretty nasty. Yeah, since we're talking about Tiger, we might as well talk about the launch of his new apparel brand called Sunday Red SDR. Got that Slozenger-esque tiger, I guess it is. Someone brought up today that if you turn the tiger <laughs> vertical, that it looks like a bunch of vertebrae that have been That's infused. Pretty <laughs> it's pretty good. But overall thoughts on it, I mean, kind of similar to what he was wearing. I don't know. I mean, it's cool that he's kind of branching or leaving Nike and starting his own thing, his own logo, which like he kind of already had with Nike. But the stuff that they're, I mean, they had their big release party last night or whatever, where they had a bunch of the new apparel that is going to 
be under the SDR brand, including some new shoes. I mean, none of it was really groundbreaking. It was just like, I don't know what we expected, but they're like, check out this shirt. And it was just a plain red tiger shirt that he would be wearing on Sunday without a Nike swish on it. Like, I don't know. I wasn't that like impressed, but at the same time, like he's not going to be going out there with crazy like patterns and stuff like that. So I think it'll evolve though. I think that we've seen the progression of tiger of being this very internal mean hard down the stretch guy. That's becoming a little bit more lighthearted engages with the fans and his friends more and even Sunday at an Augusta, I feel like he'd, he's more inclined to talk with his playing competitors than he used to be. So I think that this brand has a lot of growing to do. But you're right, the first drop was pretty uninspiring. But it's the same stuff he's been wearing his whole life. Like, if Scotty Scheffler dropped a line today, it's kind of what it would look like. It's just these guys don't have a ton of flair. But I see Tiger kind of, I see him growing into a bit of a more, like, stylish brand. I mean, it's going to be very clean. He likes, you know, his plain colors. But I see some interesting designs coming down the road. Yeah, certainly I think we were hopeful for more, but again, this is just par for the course with Tiger. I mean, all he has to do is slap his logo on something. He's going to sell the shit out of it. So I think he's kind of starting there, and I think, Ben, like you said, I think they're going to grow into it and be able to kind of expand beyond just the the mock necks and the the basic design collards and everything and and have some really unique stuff going forward as they kind of grow into this because I I feel that logo is kind of a a breakout move for him, and it's not just – a geometric TW it's it's something unique something different so I think him kind of adding that kind of gives us hope that he's going to be doing more stuff like that in the future I do like these these uh order I mean Tiger's obviously a different story but like you think of Phil with the uh, arms raised logo like later in their career kind of doing their own thing like that really really defines them I mean you kind of have the TW stuff with Nike but this is just something completely new for him and I think I see Tiger really making this a lifestyle brand when you think about him having those pop strokes kind of all across across the southeast and then TGL so I think I see this brand being a lot of golf to start but a lot of off course wear as well that logo itself is going to be all he needs to sell stuff so he'll get some creative minds in that think tank and and they'll just they'll go to town with a bunch of stuff all right nice so then other news let's talk about our round it clustered this weekend it's our first time out for the year we had some pretty nice weather me Colin Tyler and Eric got out I mean the course itself Zero complaints. Pretty dry. I mean, the balls were hitting the fairway and rolling for as much rain as we have kind of gotten over the past couple weeks. The greens were rolling just fine. I appreciate one thing Cluster does is their par threes over the winter. They put like sheath nets over the tee boxes to kind of protect them from the divots, and then you just can't grow grass back. So they have pretty nice mats, mats that are on like a concrete slab of sorts. They're not like flimsy. And they play pretty nice, and I don't know. I mean, it made the par threes play a little shorter, which was a little easier for us, but I think the whole mat par three thing is a bit overlooked. It's not a terrible look for a course to have mats on a par three. And that, like, I like some of these short courses, like we have the Shorties Classic we saw on YouTube. These little par three courses have mats. It's almost like it feels like it's more consistent. I kind of like it. All I'm hearing is another asterisk next to some of the scores I heard. <laughs> yes. Like, the par threes, especially... Tyler is saying 16 was not an actual monster of a part. It, it was still playing 185. So, hey, I so had five iron. Eric said, what, 83, and he acknowledged that he cheated on a hole and dropped the ball. <laughs> oh, he took a stroke. So yeah, now he, that, he, he rolled that Now back. that I'm hearing every part three is off a mat, it played shorter. Like, okay, like, yeah, these, these are starting to sound a little more realistic. I would say each part three played... 30 yards shorter most for most parts because we, we'd be playing the blues, not the blacks, probably 30 yards shorter on most, most part threes. But, you know, the first one still played 130. The second one still played 145. Uh, the third one played 
I think 135 and then 16 played 185. So like they weren't like chipping putts, but they were definitely <laughs> shorter than they would have been. Oh, and all the, I, I mean, all the scores were pretty impressive. I mean, Ben to go out and shoot a two under on his first round of the year. I mean, granted clustered's a little easier, but uh, on the front nine, what'd you end up? One under, two under? On the front? Two. Oh, two under. Yeah. And I shit the bed coming home too. I was hitting the ball just fine. <laughs> yeah. I bo- I, bo- yeah. I bogeyed 16. <laughs> I put it like a foot over the green, and then Colin hit me in the nuts with his ball. <laughs> so then I duffed a chip and made bogey, and then I uh, bogeyed 18 because I literally shanked my second shot. Did you so, see that lie? Had you should have known when it was coming. <laughs> I know. I saw it coming at me, and I tried to get out of the way. It didn't work. Still nuts. But yeah, uh, so 83 for Tyler, 83 for Eric, 85 for Colin. 88, but 88. thank you. So, so my question is, what format were you playing? And the follow-up to that, knowing what you did, why do people keep making this mistake? All I hear Eric talking at the Super Bowl <laughs> party was like, yeah, whoever Ben has on his team is always going to win. Is that just because he's the best at negotiating? That just doesn't, that's not true. We, we tried to play off our <laughs> handicap. The problem was that Eric had a really good day out there on his home course. He putted well. Oh, because it was you and Eric. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so, I would yeah. like to first defend myself. I win like, I'm very much 50-50 in these competitions. I think that Eric just played really well, which helped prop me yeah. up, and that's why it was a big old ass whooping. Well, also, Tyler and I played like the first 12 holes thinking that we were getting slaughtered because we thought we were taking both of our scores and counting the team competition. <laughs> I was ben just doing goes, best ball. Ben goes, you guys are only down like two holes <laughs> because he was taking the best score out of the two of us. I mean, we're doing that. Tyler and I only shot one over on the back. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, Tyler shot even for eight <laughs> holes. And then, Colin, yeah, exactly. I think Tyler literally shot two over, and then he shot one over. Because what you end up winning? I thought Tyler said something like it was over at 12 or 13 or, I don't know, something pretty early. I would on. say we probably won like five up if I yeah. had to guess. <clears throat> but, I mean, Eric is the reason for that. I mean, I played solid to kind of keep us afloat, but Eric made like – I think four or five putts outside of 30 feet. It was like he was he was playing very average to start, and then something happened on like the eighth or ninth <laughs> hole. He made one long one. And all of a sudden, like two, three holes in a row, he just made and made and made, and it was like that literally propelled us to the win because it was pretty tight after nine. I think that's a statement round for him. Going into league season, him and Tyler are going to have the uh, new guy rivalry going on. So That's true. They, what, tied Sunday. Yeah. But him playing really well, I think, bodes well for the uh, – for the bragging rights, I think going that might forward. be an underlying bigger rivalry. I know the Colin and Tyler one that goes down in in the you know on the headstone when they die. Like I was better than Tyler, I was better than Colin, but like Eric and Tyler being the new guys, like they got to prove themselves. That might be a better rivalry. I'm going to be taking a close look at these handicaps for the league <laughs> when they come out after that first round. Eric's all of Eric's rounds. He's not going to play one round at clustered before the season, so he can pump his pump his handicap think, up. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. Like one is defined, two is kind of defined, three is just wide open. Like the rankings in yeah, this absolutely. kind of BPO group, and so yeah, it's uh, up for the taking this year. It's literally Tully, Colin, Tyler, Eric. I mean, Kenny has a good year. You never know. Like Ken's it's, gonna, it's a lot closer. Than Ken's going to get a million birdies this year. <laughs> he only said line at what thirty or twenty. He's going to shred that. Yeah, all in all, it was a it was a great day. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm always a little burnt out by the end of by like September, October after playing every single week in the league. But like, I don't know. It's been a couple of months off, and just getting out there yesterday just felt so good. Now I'm just all pumped up and ready. to Did go you again. have anything new out there? I, I don't think you got any new clubs or anything. Right? I had new grips, so oh, I had. Okay. I, I got, I got my I, all my clubs regripped except <laughs> for my driver and my putter um, this off season. I got mid sized grips because. I kind of really like grip the shit out of my clubs, so I think these mid-sized grips will help me. And I struck my like my irons particularly. That's been my irons pro- are probably the worst part of my game. And I think 
yesterday or Sunday with these new grips, I was striking my irons like pretty consistently well, which is a good step for me, I think. I would say there was three or four times that I wasn't watching when Colin hit and he hit and I was like, wow, that sounded good. And like, you know, he's a good iron striker, but you know, I feel like he's getting a little bit more click out of them. And I think the iron, the grips are really working yeah. for him. Well, that's a big change going from regular to midsize. Because mm-hmm. I did that with my driver and it was drastic. And so I think irons too, it's got to make a big difference. The good thing Colin had going was that his driver is already midsize. So he at least knew what it felt yeah. like. But, you know, what, what's the what's the consensus on the grips? You know, did you notice like your ball flight maybe like fading a little more? Or was there any change to it? I mean, I I was pulling everything left, which like combined with, I had a very like typical round for me. Like I think Dub brings it up a lot where it's just like I'm all over the place and then somehow make like a par bogey because my putting and, and short game kind of saves me a lot. But that just my putting and short game is probably the worst part of, of my game on Sunday. But um, the fact that like I wasn't hitting my driver well, but I wasn't really out of bounds yep. or like in a bad position. My irons, I was hitting decently fine. But yeah, everything was pulling left, particularly with my irons. And I think that's more my setup and my kind of I think on the backswing I'm taking it too far around wrapping it around myself a little too much I mean maybe but it's something to keep an eye on I mean if it was pretty consistent and all your clubs are gripped gripped differently now it's something to keep an eye on I will say Tyler he looked like he had a little more junk in the trunk that that round he was hitting (laughs) the ball like a good 10-20 yards further off the tee and rearing back and and hit him pretty straight too so that's something to watch out for this year and he's talking about going and getting a new driver yeah there's 20 more 21st century that's gonna hit a 300 no time it was funny. So we talked about in the back, he had like seven pars. He parred the first well, seven yeah, holes in the back. Big time. Bogeyed number, he, he bogeyed his eighth hole in the back, which I guess was I think he, 17. He said he lipped out for par. Yeah, like it sounded like it was 17. A, yep. And he got he got frustrated and stepped up there in 18 and swung as hard as he could. And it was like his only drive all Duck day. right to the range. So good. And then he's like apologizing for getting mad. We're like, you don't need to apologize. It's literally exactly what we did. But yeah, Tyler, I think he he parred nine as well. So he was on like uh eight eight par streak and then in bogeyed 17. I think he bogeyed or doubled 18. A tough finish. To shoot 83, that's a thing. Could have easily been a 70s round for Tyler. Yeah, but all in all, a good round. We'll keep you up to date every time we get out on the course. Thanks for listening. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod and stay tuned for our picks from this upcoming week. See ya.